Looking to start your own website? The first thing you need is a domain name, and the best place to get one is at GoDaddy.com. With your domain registration, you'll get hosting, a free blog, complete email, and much more. Plus, as a MuggleCast listener, enter code RON, that's R-O-N when you check out, and get your .com domain name for just $7.49 a year. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com. This week's episode is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast to get the details. This is Professor McGonagall welcoming you to all to Mugglecast, hoping you enjoyed. Dobby, Dobby, come here. Yeah, Dobby. Yes, well, I'd just like to say how very pleased I am to introduce Mugglecast to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Because the BAFTAs aren't real awards, this is MuggleCast, episode 189, for January the 15th, 2010. Welcome back to the show, everyone. We have Micah, Matt, and I here, three regulars, and also Jamie's back for the first time in a while. Hey, Jamie! Hey. It has been a long time, hasn't it? It's been such a long time. (laughs) I've missed you. I missed you, too, We're all happy to have you back. I'm pleased to be back. Everything's changed so much, hasn't it? But Really? Some things still stay the same. Oh, yes, of course. MuggleCast is our constant. Like Muggle Net's not though, is it? Isn't it going to two point two point oh soon? That's <laughs> yes. a trendy word. That's a trendy <laughs> word. Two point oh. It's cool. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. It's uh, pretty exciting stuff we've cool. going on. And also joining us this week is Andrea, and uh, most of you may recognize her name from Muggle Net. She's been writing news posts for us for um, what a few months now, Andrea. Almost How a year, I think. Actually, yeah. almost a yeah. year. Oh. <laughs> Well, there you go. Well, welcome to the show. It's great to have you Thanks on. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, um, Laura, uh, Jamie, I don't know if you know this. Laura went to Costa Rica. No way. Um, really? Yeah. Sophie's to, to study there. abroad for a semester. Mm-hmm. So. Cool. Uh, Very cool. natives. With the natives. Gonna feel crap on the country. <laughs> She's going to um, teach them podcasting. Yes, <laughs> right, that's her mission. Yeah. She's bringing podcasting to. She brought. She bought up an entire Apple Store um, supply of iPods, and she's going to saturate that, that country with dedication for you. <laughs> it that is. can't. That can't have been cheap. <laughs> <laughs> it's very noble. So we have a lot to get to on the show today. We also have the um, final installment of Chapter by Chapter for Chamber of Secrets. We're getting that book out of the way. It'll be our third book finished in our Chapter by Chapter series. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Jamie Lawrence. I'm Micah Tannebell. I'm Matt Britton. And I'm Andrea Salazar.
Micah, it's our first show of 2010, and there's lots of interesting news items to discuss this week. Well, uh, first piece of news, there's a uh, Deathly Hollows Deluxe Edition that's been signed by J.K. Rowling and Mary Grand Prix that's up for charity auction on eBay. And 100% of the winning amount is going to be donated to two not-for-profit organizations. Uh, 50% is going to be going to the National Multiple Sclerosis Society, uh, the Mid-Florida chapter. And the other 50% is going to be donated to Habitat for Humanity in Sarasota. So... Not only would you win this copy of uh, the Deathly Hollows Deluxe Edition, signed by J.K. Rowling and Mary Grand Prix, but there's a number of other prizes uh, that are included. Um, and it says, donated by Olivand, you get a wand, a cloak, and a scarf. Signed copies of MuggleNet's What Will Happen in Harry Potter 7, because, you know, nobody knows at this point. And <laughs> Harry Potter should have died. Uh, two MuggleNet shirts, a signed copy of Melissa and Ellie's Harry a History, and a National Multiple Sclerosis Society t-shirt and wristband. The auction runs until, I think it's next Thursday, uh, January the 21st. And as of right now, there's 24 bids and $1,825 is the highest bid Nice right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually, this is a really nice collection of items. I mean, obviously the 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 best item here is the signs. Deathly Hollows Deluxe Edition. Mary Grand Prix even went so far as to include... She drew a sketch of Harry in it, which is really cool. Is it good? Uh, oh, of course. She's, oh, yeah, she's <laughs> yeah, it's I not bad. Like, it's, I, can't, I forgot that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, is this her, is her thing, though? I mean, it's in Florida, and I know she's from Florida. Because when I was reading it, I was going to say National Multiple Sclerosis Society Scotland by accident, but I caught myself. Oh. So I was just wondering, maybe is this her doing? I'm not... What do you mean? Well, no, this kid who put it together, Daniel, it was all him. Oh, okay. Uh, He had been in contact with us a few weeks ago, and that's how he got the Mugglenet books and the t-shirt. But actually, I I, I posted this on Mugglenet, and and I was like, you know what? This is really nice. I kind of want this. So I placed a bid. Did you? And I was quickly outbid. I, I bid up to seven hundred dollars. Did you, Andrew? Oh, you're rolling in it. You, <laughs> <laughs> you can well. You can buy me something. The reason I bid so high was I knew I wasn't going to win, and and I hadn't even reached the reserve price. And as of right now, it's at eighteen hundred dollars, and the reserve has still not been met. I wonder if he's put it as like ten million or something. Yeah, it's probably a lot. Um, he says he expects for it to go between three and four grand, so I guess it's in there somewhere, but. The reserve, for anyone who doesn't know, means that someone could set a price on eBay and not allow it to sell unless it reaches that certain price. That would have been so funny if you'd won and you didn't have the money to pay for it. And there's like all, all this coverage from around the world is like, altruistic Harry Potter fan makes a surprising bid on eBay. And then it's like, how'd you plan to pay for this, Andrew? I thought I could afford it. <laughs> I would ask Ben to go in with me. Or I'd run off to Vegas and try to, try to win try some to money. Win to it, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, this is a really great auction, and there's a link on MuggleNet if anyone's interested in interested in bidding. Obviously, a lot of money, but that the the collection is a very nice collection of items. We'd like to remind you again that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over thirty five thousand titles to choose from to be downloaded and played back anywhere, just like MuggleCast. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Again, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast 
for your free audio book. What else is going on, Micah? Well, there are finally some details beginning to emerge about the Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey dark ride at Universal's Wizarding World of Harry Potter theme park. Uh, Screamscape reported earlier this week that the ride system inside Hogwarts Castle is installed and functional. However, all the scenery and special effects still need to be installed, programmed, and tested extensively before we will see the ride open. Uh, They go on to reveal that your ride experience will begin and end with an interesting little effect that will transport you through the use of the flu network. A giant fireplace and green flames. I bet that's cool. I bet that's very oh, cool. Man. That'd be awesome if it was like the Tower of Terror ride at Walt Disney World or Disneyland, like flu powder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it yeah. But when I read that, I thought that was awesome, an awesome idea to travel via flu powder. This ride, I mean, this is going to be a really impressive ride. The, it's been we still don't have many details on it yet, but it's been described as capturing all of Harry's. Um, uh, uh, what was the word Dan Radcliffe used? Something about oh, his, forbidden it, journeys. No, his the, <laughs> the chaotic parts of his life. So it's basically g- going to be a mashup of all these, and you're going to be thrown around through this ride as you're, you know, avoiding the Whomping Willow and stuff like that. Should be really cool. Is this, is 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 like Harry? Are they going to have like animatronic Harrys? I don't know. <laughs> we don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. Want to go make love to one? It would... <laughs> well, <laughs> If 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 I'm if if I have a seatbelt, then no. Yeah, mad. There'd be no love in that relationship if you did that with an animatronic Harry. He just use you. He just use you for what he wants. To throw you away. It's fine. They have no emotions. <laughs> but, yeah, it should be very cool. And Jamie, do you think? I mean, you are a UK resident. Are you going to find yourself making a trip over to Orlando? Uh, probably not specifically for this ride, but if I was there or around in that area, I would absolutely make a special journey to go down there and go on it. It does sound very, very good. Well, yeah, I mean, not just the ride, but the park as well, a whole. I'd like to go, yeah. I'd just be scared that it wouldn't live up to the, like, hype that all, you know, because marketing nowadays, it just builds stuff up and builds stuff right. up, and they use such good techniques to make it sound so awesome. I just worry I'd pay my money to get there, and it would just, you know, be like a fall from grace type of thing. Yeah. I have something to confess. I am not impressed with Hogwarts Castle. You aren't really they, because if you got, uh, it's pretty much finished being built, and you know there's tons of construction photos, but it's not one of the. It's not Hogwarts. It's very. I don't know. It just looks like half of Hogwarts. There's not many big pillar or big towers, um, and even Steve Clovis. He admitted in the Ultimate Editions that he wasn't happy with how Hogwarts looked in the first couple of films. And now, you know, they really have this chance to make Hogwarts look amazing to, to you know, through our own eyes in person. And I don't know. I doubt I they can afford that... to, though, can they? Like, know. make it extra awesome. Well, I don't know if they have all, the, all that room to make it an and all ultimate that m- Harry money, Potter. Like, it's still got to make money. Castle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe they'll expand later. I'm just not that impressed with it. Well, that's what they did in the films. Maybe they'll do it in the park. Yeah, yeah, yeah so that's true, yeah. To it. If it makes money. <laughs> <Add on> to <laughs> it. Are you not impressed because only half the castle is there? Yeah, basically. I mean, when you look at the, the construction photos, it's like... Just it's close cool. one eye. Are you upset it's not to scale, Andrew? No, not the scale thing. I, th- I think they're they're using tricks to make it look like it's really far away by making it look really big, if that makes sense. <laughs> 
you know, uh, never mind. I don't. I don't want to get too deep into this conversation. But personally, I'm not. I guess we'll have to wait to see when it actually opens up. But right now, it's just like, eh. Um, do we know if we're going to be able to walk through um, the castle, or is it going to be like Cinderella's castle where there's nothing there? Well, the ride is yeah. going to be ba- this forbidden journey ride is going to be in the castle. So I don't think we're actually going to get to walk in it. When, when they first announced this park, people were like, "Oh wow, we'll be able to go into Hogwarts and you know." Eat in the Great Hall, but I don't think it's going to be like that at all. The the the, the castle is just for exterior display. Yeah. Well, and it's it, it's not a whole theme park. It's just you know just a a land in the theme park too. So I mean that was the original idea that everyone was thinking that it's a whole theme park dedicated to Harry Potter. Well, it still is a theme. I mean they're putting two hundred million dollars into this project. So right, it's it's but like eight eighty million is probably per ride or something like that. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask Jamie, though, uh, are you going to go out and get your copy of the Daily Telegraph this weekend? Is there something free in it? Yeah, <laughs> there actually is. There's going to be a, a DVD of the theme park uh, for promoting Oh, right, it. yeah. I probably will then. It's only like But I'm 20, wondering if this is the same thing that was included on the Half-Blood Prince DVD. It might be. It probably is. I doubt yeah. if there's something new just for a newspaper. They always give yeah, away free yeah. stuff, and normally it's rubbish. So, I don't know. It might not be. Right. It could be something new. The Telegraph describes the DVD as, uh, you can watch interviews with the stars of the film series and get a sneak peek of the amazing new rides and attractions. You can also view an exclusive magical 3D tour of the theme park and access brilliant interactive extras for your computer, including printouts, downloads, and an interactive attraction map that's just like the version from the films. So it sounds like the stuff we've seen on the DVD. Probably. It's probably just rehash stuff or... Yeah. Well, and, I mean, uh, Jamie, you can... And then on Sunday, that's Saturday. Sunday, you can get a mouse pad. A free mouse <laughs> yeah, pad. Yeah, mouse pad. Wizarding World. Now, that might be more valuable. Does it have the theme park on it? Is it a yeah. mouse pad with the theme park? Yeah. What else is going on, Micah? <laughs> Wow, Half-Blood Prince has stolen the news. Uh, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences <laughs> announced that uh, only seven films remain in the running f- in the visual effects category for the 82nd Annual Academy Awards, and Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince remains in the running, and the list is going to be narrowed down to three on uh, January the 21st. Well, so, what do you mean by it's still think? in the running? Have others been dropping off or something? Yeah. Well, I think they start really? out with more, don't they? Than just seven, and then they they get it down they to seven, like and then flies. down to three. Yeah, they drop right. like flies. Yeah, yeah. There's some weird process that goes on, but they drop like Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is controversial. <laughs> <laughs> has have has any Harry Potter film ever won a Academy Award? An Academy? Award? I think it's one like um, set de- set design or something. Matt, look that up. Okay, because I don't think. Uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Half of Prince has gotten this far, but the Harry Potter films have never been seen as um, Academy Award material. Right. Well, you know they're really good, but I guess they just never make it over that that jump, that hurdle. Are they made for that though? Really? I mean, I, I don't know. Like you look at Lord of the Rings and the amount of money they pump into like set design and costume design and stuff like that and it is it is good on Harry Potter but it's you know everyone expects the costumes to be a certain way and everyone expects certain things to be specific ways so I, I don't know if I call them groundbreaking in special effects or direction or anything like that they're just good at what they do yeah maybe I think that's thing. the best way to put it um, and who, yeah do they, we think and, that they're going to do well though I mean uh, I mean th- in this particular do, yeah. category 
I don't I know guess, who it's up against. I mean, Half Blood Prince visual effects, they they were great. You know, we, we never see any corny special effects in the Harry Potter films. I mean, th- there's a couple uh-huh. exceptions, but right now it's up against Avatar and Wow, well, well, it's probably onto a loser then. Yeah, it's it's competing right now against Avatar, District 9, Star Trek, Terminator Salvation, Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, and 2012. So, I, I think Avatar mm-hmm. is going to win that. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, but I noticed that, uh, as is usually the case, uh, that Half-Blood Prince was nominated for a ton of BAFTAs. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure they'll they win at that ceremony. Yeah, they always wanted the BAFTAs, don't they? Someone once told me off once, like, I said that the BAFTAs were crap versions of the Oscars, and, and <laughs> someone told me that's really, really bad, you should be really proud of them, because they're British and stuff, and I was like, well, no, they're really not that impressive, whereas the Oscars are, <laughs> you know, the actual award ceremonies, but maybe that that's is a like, bit harsh. That's like somebody yeah. telling you you should be proud of Hitler because he was German, if you were German. <laughs> yeah. <That's, laughs> I don't know if that's a perfect analogy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's along the same lines, right? Well, maybe, maybe kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, maybe that's discussion for another time. But, you know, yeah. wrapping this up on uh, on Half-Blood Prince, though, Michael Gammon was also nominated uh, for an award for an uh, Irish Film Television Award for his role as Dumbledore. So he finally got nominated for something after all these films that he's done. Hallelujah. Well, I know, and, and he's an awesome actor as well. Do you yeah, know I'm not seeing really any weird fact about him. Any award, any Oscars that that any of the Harry Potter films have won? What were you saying, Jamie? Do you know hear a really weird fact about him, Michael yeah. Gambon? He Please. owns he owns fourteen lathes. Right. What's a lathe? Lathe. You know the like turning thing, woodwork, uh, metalwork stuff. A lathe for like turning. Do you know that? Like Mm-mm. a steering wheel. <laughs> no, not <a> steering. Wheel. <laughs> No, I don't. No, I really don't. Yeah, this is, look, I'll, I'll get it off Wikipedia so I, so I can Are they very all. expensive or something? They're, well, no, not really, but just like you only need one, to be honest. It, it's oh. a machine tool which spins a block of material to perform various operations such as cutting, sanding, knurling, oh. drilling, uh, stuff like that. And he's got 14 of them for some reason. Does he have a fetish for them or something? I don't know. Perhaps he does. But <laughs> he's a huge fan of them and he's got that many of them. Um, well, huh. good luck to Michael Gammon for being nominated in this. See, I think it's very well deserved at this point. Uh, he's up against Simon Delaney for Happy Ever Afters, Michael Fassbender for Fish Tank, and Aiden Quinn for The Clips. So, I only know Aiden Quinn. Yeah. I don't know any what of What else those is going people. on, Micah? Onward. All right, uh, final piece of news here. Uh, Empire Magazine released a little bit of a Deathly Hollows set report um, over the course of the last few weeks. And uh, the page-long report included new comments from Dan Radcliffe. Um, and he said, The single most complicated sequence we've done in any of the films, he's referring to the Seven Potter scene. Everyone's changing into me, and nobody really knows what's going on. I'm dressed up as everyone else, and they're dressed up, dressing up as me. And, well, it's very confusing. My question is, why would he have to dress up as everyone else? Yeah, I don't get why. <laughs> I think he just... You know how Dan starts to, like, ramble sometimes? Yeah. I think that's what he got caught in. <laughs> well, maybe it's part of the transformation, though. As he's, like, changing from, hair, from say, Hermione to Harry. It could be. It's just... Oh, yeah, maybe. Actually, yeah, that's probably it. 
Well, uh, I have to see. That's pretty cool. I, I've said for a long time now that this is my favorite scene in the book. It will be an amazing scene, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be uh, awesome. Yeah, there was also a little bit from David Yates, and he said he watched the first assembly of part one just last week, and the most interesting dynamic is that you're taking these three characters we know quite well away from the comfort zone of Hogwarts, and you really can't underestimate the odd power of that. He sounds like he's rambling a bit, too. I was going to say, that's been done before. They haven't always been at Hogwarts all the time, so maybe it's just because they aren't there at all that it's yeah. different. Yeah, I, I think I guess that's what he's saying. But the, the whole buzzword with this movie is road movie. Road movie. Oh, with mm-hmm. Half-Bud Prince, it was comedy, comedy, sex, drugs, rock and roll. And this road movie? Road movie? They're going to be in like a, a camper van going down a road, traveling like the length of the country, <laughs> chilling out. <laughs> Uh, it's like that Steve Carell movie where in that they're in that yellow bus. What is that movie? Uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah, it's gonna be like that. But I'm already sick of that phrase, and they were using it in, at the Half Blood Prince junkets, and now oh, oh, it's a road movie, a road movie. That's all we're gonna hear this <laughs> yeah, between now and November. That's annoying. Yeah, but it is cool that he's already looked at part one. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I wonder when because. They did this interview like six or seven months ago, and then he's quoted as saying last week. So was it last week, six or seven months ago, or last week, three weeks ago, when this article came out? You know what that's like, like a real-world analogy to that? Do you know when you walk past somewhere and there's a like a poster up and it says, like, this band playing here, and then there's the word tonight? And you're like, well, yeah. did someone post that yesterday so i'm actually right. a day late or can i go and see them tonight yeah yeah it's the stupidest thing in the world when people do that yeah well it's sort of like also an email when somebody will be like hey you want to hang out tomorrow and you read it like two days after you get the email yeah and yeah. that's why i i'm a very good writer i will put i'll put tomorrow and then in quotations or in parentheses i'll put Thursday. Andrew, that is genius. That is absolutely genius. I am a great communicator. That's what I pride myself on. Are you a 2.0 communicator? (laughs) If you were such a great communicator, I don't think MuggleNet would have been down over the past few weeks. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I'm not going to point fingers, but I will guarantee you all 100% this was not my doing. So let's talk about that. Um, as everyone knows, MuggleNet was down for uh, almost a week. A week? And it was not fun. I swear to you all, this was painting me as much as it was painting most of you. I could not... I laid in bed unable to sleep. It bothered me that people could not go on the site. I resorted to vi- uh, things that were very out of my character. <laughs> like I, I what? Them. Like what? What did you do? I can't say on the show. It's It's very dark. Very dark stuff. He was, it's it's, it's he like was a road cleaning, movie. He was he was outside. He yeah, was I didn't know what around. to do with myself. I I had to go outside and like, well, what is this thing <laughs> in the sky? It's so bright. But you should, you should have gone to anyway, a counselor or something. So MuggleNet was down and and we we attempted to move servers. We are so sorry that it was down. We know people rely on the site a lot for their news, and that's why you know it bothered me. It bothered a lot of us, but. You know, since we were down for such a long period of time, we decided to let people know why we were down. And the reason is we're getting ready for a new version of MuggleNet, and we're calling it MuggleNet 2.0, because this is, this is really the first time the site has had a major overhaul. And we posted a preview, a little visual preview on the site the other day. It gives you a, a glimpse into what the new site is going to be. You can check it out on MuggleNet.com. We made the news post on January 11th. 
and we're really excited about it. It's going to have a lot of new features. It's complete. We have a whole new design. We're we're getting some feedback, um, and we may incorporate some of that feedback into the final design. One of the major things that we're doing is changing the body um, of the area, uh, the body of the site where you know the news is posted, and where the content sits to white. Uh, or black text on white. And that's obviously re- reverse of what we have right now, which is white text on black. And people are actually kind of disappointed. Some people were disappointed that we were changing it. So I'm thinking what we may do is a, uh, is create an option so people could switch back and forth. You know, if you don't want that, the white background and black text, you can switch it to the black background on white text. But you so, um, Dylan. Oh, really? Emerson's brother. Oh, really? Because yeah. really? I forgot who Dylan was for, for a second there. No, I? I'm excited to the audience. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so we're really excited about it. It's going to have a lot of cool new features, and check it out on MuggleNet.com. The new design, will it's going to be a few weeks until it's up, because we're actually still moving the site. Um, so it's a whole big thing. But we apologize for the site downtime, and... It pained us. Trust me. It wasn't fun. Did you see the loving death threats we got? <laughs> yeah, I saw you tweeted about that. What, you, what were you talking... Where were the death threats? We got a death threat? Well, I mean, they were very loving. Wow. I'm sure they were full of love. But, um, yeah, they said they would, exter- <laughs> they said they would exterminate us one by one if we didn't warn them again. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, that's good. That means they really care about the site. Yes. So. Or mentally disturbed. We're glad you care so much you would kill us. Anyway, <laughs> that's all for news, right? That's it. Well, let's get into Muggle Mail now. Matt, could you read the first email, please? Sure. Our first email comes from Nick Worley, 15, from Little Rock, Arkansas. He writes, Hey, Mugglecasters, I'm rereading Deathly Hallows, and I was wondering why Harry was being so stubborn when he refused to accept help with his mission from Lupin and other people who offered to help Harry. Um, I know that Dumbledore told him to tell only Ron and Hermione, but Harry could still have used the help and protection. Thoughts? You guys are doing awesome and keep up the great show. He's just stubborn, isn't he? Yeah, he really is. Not to put too fine a point on it. He's just stubborn. (laughs) No, I think you're right. And, you know, he, he trusted Dumbledore when Dumbledore said, you know, keep it between yourselves. And I think he was absolutely right to tell Lupin to stay with his family. Was it his job to do that, though? What? Is it the job of a teenager mm. to to tell him what he should do and not do with his family? Uh, well, he was getting into Harry's business by asking, you know, if he could help, if he could join Ron and Hermione. Though. Yeah. I know. He was all up in his business. <laughs> well, <laughs> Harry, or, up in his face. Jamie, <laughs> Jamie, if you were in Harry's position, would you have brought Lupin along with uh, you? Or I would don't, you have told him to stay with his family? I don't know. I'd have probably, I'd have liked to have think. I'd have handled it a bit more... Um, maturely than Harry did and not say the stuff he did, which I thought was kind mm-hmm. of mean, because Lupin is in quite a tough situation. Like I think, I mean, I certainly do. You know, I read the books and and um, Joe doesn't really always, you know, make it clear how much of an outcast Lupin is. Like, I think when you reread the bits that he says, he's sort of like, no one accepts him. It's like, um, you know, it's like, it's like being on the sex offenders register, really, like, of the 
wizarding world type thing. Good way of looking yeah, at it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, and everyone hates him. No one talks to him. No one trusts his opinion, and he wants to feel useful. And he thinks he's done this terrible thing to his family. He thinks, like, he's inflicted this horrible, like, disease on his sons, and the sins of the fathers are visited on the sons, and he feels he's responsible for that. And so he wants to make himself feel useful when there's nothing he can do back home. I think, I mean, I think it's a noble cause. Perhaps he should stay with his family, but I think Harry's a bit insensitive, really. Um, when he's just trying to help. Yeah, I suppose you're right. He also right. grew up without a father, though. So I think he's thinking of Teddy at that point. That is definitely true, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we find out at the, at the end of the book, it all sort of comes full circle when Teddy loses his parents. So, But the other thing is, if you look at the end of the book, the whole conversation that Harry sees between Dumbledore and Snape, Dumbledore never reveals to Snape anything about the Horcruxes. And I think that was kind of the theme that was going throughout the whole book. You know, only certain people can know this information because if it starts to get out, I mean, even Lupin, I'm not saying he would willingly give up the information, but the more people that know, the greater risk it posed to what Harry had to do. That's true as well. And and Voldemort could have found out and then he'd have put extra protection in. And like Harry found it hard enough to do what he had to do anyway. I think it's that kind of thing where if anything else had gone wrong, it would have been quite hard for her to write plausibly that Harry had won. But that scene was so good with Snape and Voldemort at the end. Oh, it was such a good scene. <laughs> yeah, it was. Andrea, could you read the next email, please? Sure. This one comes from Helen, 26, from Hinsdale, Illinois. She says, Hi, everyone. I just listened to episode 187. In the discussion of chapter 14, Micah mentioned that he thought the reason Dumbledore seemed to be able to sense the presence of Ron and Harry under the invisibility cloak might be because he could sense the presence of one of the Deathly Hallows. J.K.R. actually addressed this question in a live online chat she did after the release of Book 7. Joe was asked, Why is it that Albus Dumbledore can see Harry under his invisibility cloak at certain moments? Is the cloak only infallible to those who do not own a Deathly Hallow? Joe responded, Dumbledore, who could perform magic without needing to say the incantation aloud, was using Hominum Rebellio, the human presence-revealing spell that Hermione makes use of in Deathly Hallows when she checked Grimald Place to see if it was empty. I would have, it would have been cool if Dumbledore could sense the Deathly Hallows, but sadly that wasn't the case. I love you all. Helen. So there's the explanation for that. You know, I don't like that answer. <laughs> Why? I don't like it. It's logical. No, Go, but because I want to hear this now. No, 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 think about all the times in the series then you could just explain stuff away with, with hominem revelio. I mean, think about all the times Harry could have been caught by Snape when he was out of bed under the invisibility cloak. Oh, Snape could have just said hominem revelio, and there goes Harry. But, like, the thing that gets me about this thing is I like, you know, complete stuff that's so powerful it can't be undone, and, like, a simple spell that Hermione can use to check if there are people in, like, um, Grimmauld Place. You know, you could just walk along and keep saying that spell, and then an invisibility cloak w- would be completely useless against you. And since, um, what's his name? Um, Luna's dad. I can't believe I can't remember his name. What's his name? Xenophilius. Yeah, 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 of course. Um, when he says, you know, ah, but a true, you know, cloak of invisibility doesn't ever, ever fade, and you just think, my god, this is a really powerful object. It's like a lightsaber or yeah. adamantium or something like that in, in X-Men. Yeah. And you're just like, if such a simple spell can reveal this, it, it can't be that good. Which is such a shame, because you're like, you know, it's such a cool object. Yeah, that's sort of like the whole argument about, you know, Alohomora, you know, (laughs) why are there locks if you can just unlock it with Alohomora? (laughs) And I thought spells weren't supposed to work on Harry's invisibility cloak anyway. 
um, like when they tried to Akio it, I think. Um, in where was it? Hogsmeade. Oh, yeah, they can't get yeah, it. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a much cooler answer to say that Dumbledore could sense the presence of a Deathly Hollow than to, it is, than it to is, say yeah. he used this spell that, I mean, Maybe it speaks to the power of Dumbledore. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the spell is stronger with him casting it than somebody else. But well, he's also had possession of the invisibility cloak for a while too. Right. So he, so he, he may have been familiar with you know the presence that it has. Jamie, could you read the next email? Okay, this comes from Miriasha. I hope that's right. 13 from Burlington, Vermont. She writes, Hey, I was listening to episode 187, and I have something to add to your discussion about what magic Mr. Weasley put on the card to give it a personality. I wonder if it had anything to do with the magic surrounding Hogwarts, and especially the Forbidden Forest. In the fourth book, when Ron thinks that Harry should bring in an aqualung to breathe underwater for the second task, Hermione tells Harry that Ron and Ron that muggle things go crazy when they get near Hogwarts. Also, in the first book, when Neville falls off his broomstick in their first flying lesson, instead of falling to the ground, the broomstick lazily flies off towards the Forbidden Forest. I think that there are so many magical creatures and just magical pull in the forest that it gives items personalities. What do you guys think? I also want to say that in episode 186, you were talking about Hermione and Harry dancing, and how Harry was trying to cheer Hermione up. And one of you said that Harry was trying to cheer her up because Hermione was down, that Harry had left. I don't know if anyone noticed this, but I wanted to point it out. I love the podcast, and I've been a listener since the beginning. Never stop. Uh, I guess we meant Ron in regard to that second point, that, uh, you know, Hermione yeah. was down, that Ron oh, right, yeah. left. But yeah. in response to her first point, thing, I think that's a, isn't it? Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Because, Jamie, we were wondering why on earth, you know, the car had such a personality, oh, right, you yeah. know, in, in, in Chamber of Secrets. And- Don't they use the words when it comes back? They say it looks all crazy and, like, crazed, and it's it's got, like, mud and dirt yeah. on it. So I guess it does do that to you, living in the Forbidden Forest. It changes you, like, and it makes you crazy. Turns you into a warrior. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> makes you primal. Yeah, primal, exactly. Micah, could you read the next email? Uh, next email comes from Rhiannon16 of Australia, and she says, G'day, guys, and Laura, uh, and Andrea. First of all, I love your podcast. <laughs> Andrea. Andrea, sorry. First of all, I love right. your podcast, especially since I live in an Australian country town, and I often feel isolated from the Harry Potter community. Uh, I've been re-listening to some of your podcasts. I was listening to number 181, and I have a question. You've all talked about the Ultimate Editions being fantastic with lots of special features on them, which teased me so much that I was wondering if the editions have any chance of being released in Australia. I've asked every Australian fan I know, and we haven't heard anything. Once again, I love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Rhiannon, P.S. You still have a lot of Australian fans. Was there any doubt? No. I don't remember doubting that, but... (sighs) Thanks uh, for writing in about this, because... Okay... The Ultimate Editions came out in the U.S., but they still haven't been released in the U.K. and Australia. We still don't know when they're going to be released. We actually recently contacted Warner Brothers to find out about this, and uh, Nick, who works on MuggleNet, he inquired, and we should be hearing back soon. So, we don't know, but it is kind of odd that they haven't released these internationally yet. So we'll just have to wait and see. But we will let you know on MuggleNet.com if we get some dates. Perhaps they're so waiting for a, that. for a special occasion or something. I don't know what, but it might be. Yeah, I guess so. They released them here in the, the beginning of December when the Half-Blood Prince DVD came out. 
So many are wondering why they didn't come out at the same time before the holidays where they live. Hmm. Anyway, final email today comes from Harper Stevenson, 14, of the U.S. of A. He writes about the nude scene conjecture. Something I've noticed that's really been bothering me is the nude scene conjecture. How did none of the hosts seem to remember that Harry wakes up and finds robes before Dumbledore makes the scene? He wakes up, realizes he's nude, and robes appear for him to wear. Then Dumbledore appears or walks in or whatever, and they chat, and Harry goes back to being alive. Just thought I'd clear that up, since the conjecture has now been active for a few episodes now. I'm rather nitpicky, since Harry Potter was the first book series I ever really read back when I was six. He's just died. I don't think he's going to care about being naked, is he? (laughs) Well, Harper's right. The thing thing is, Jamie, we were talking about the story. There's going to be two nude scenes in Deathly Hallows like, to confirm that Dan's going to be naked oh, right. for this. And we had joked on one of the shows that, oh, Harry's going to be naked in front of Dumbledore. Dumbledore's gay. Blah, blah, blah. So, But that was just a joke. And uh, I, to be honest, I forgot that Harry puts on clothes before seeing Dumbledore. But I did remember <laughs> this later on. I think somebody else wrote into I, it. I was going to say joke something said or done to evoke laughter or amusement especially an amusing story with a punchline <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we were just kidding around and but that is a good thing to clarify thank you harper for pointing that out and that does it for muggle mail this week it's time now for chapter by chapter and also later in the show we have a very special british joke of the day no moment. don't say that i don't know why it's special I say, I don't, I yeah don't know if it's that good <laughs> <laughs> we have a British joke of the day, and Jamie in true form is playing it down. So, well, <laughs> just should be quite a second. cover my back. All right, and so, like I said at the beginning of the show, these are chapters sixteen through eighteen of chapter er, of Chamber of Secrets. This is our final installment of chapter by chapter ever. And Mike is going <laughs> to lead us in the first two chapters, and then I will lead chapter 18 the final chapter all right so over to you micah all right chapter 16 the chamber of secrets just like the title of the book um so this this chapter opens up um harry and ron have just almost been killed and eaten by aragog and uh, they discuss moaning myrtle being the girl killed 50 years ago and how they're going to sneak away to see her when they realize that they have much more pressing 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 issues and those are the exams and it's it's kind of like a comical part in the book where they've completely forgot about exams because of what's been going on with all their fellow students being attacked and i know andrew you put here is it merely a sign of immaturity that they're complaining about still having to take their exams yeah well i got kind of annoyed when i read this because i i was thinking why is it why are they still complaining that they have exams i mean of course you would still have exams it's not like you've they all the students have had anything else to occupy their time i mean the monster's been scaring them but they don't you know they haven't been all searching for it or anything they still have time to study for exams I just found it very immature. Can I just say here, this this is really weird because, you know, there's a monster going about killing people, okay, in this castle and they still have exams, okay? We've had a bit of snowfall here and 9,000 schools have been closed over the United Kingdom. <laughs> so, well, does that say something about You guys Britain? aren't prepared. No. No, it's just well, different in the magical world. Yeah, well, I, I, I think I think maybe she that J.K. Rowling uses the whole exam thing just so kids can still feel related to the, to the trio. Maybe, yeah. Like they have exams just like I do, or something. I mean, it's it's it does it it, it doesn't really make any sense anyway. Putting it in, but 
I mean, I, I that's the only explanation I can think of. I think it just shows how young they are. I mean, and you know how how immature they are. Like you said, Andrew. I mean, they're just they're not grown up yet, and they're caring about. Yeah. It just shows how their minds are working at that time. They need to sort out their priorities. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They really do. What are we going to say, Andre? Um, just that it's probably just um, a J.K. Rowling making sure well, that everyone realizes they're still in school. Like they're, you know, they're twelve years old. They do have have school. They have classes, and I don't know. I guess it might be a little bit uh, responsible. I guess, although I guess they're not studying, so. Yeah, well, it is a good way to keep them responsible. But <clears throat> regardless, I just don't see why they would complain. But anyway. So <laughs> Professor McGonagall announces that everyone who's been petrified is about to be restored later on that evening. And then I pulled a quote that says, Just then, Ginny Weasley came over and sat down next to Ron. She looked tense and nervous, and Harry noticed that her hands were twisting in her lap. Ginny didn't say anything, but glanced up and down the Gryffindor table with a scared look on her face that reminded Harry of someone, though he couldn't think who. And just a couple minutes later, Harry realizes that she reminds him of Dobby when he was nervous and about to re- reveal vital information. But Percy, in the end, ends up scaring her away. And th- there's actually somebody sent in a tweet down here, and Ginny said that she had something to say that was so important. And I was wondering if it was that important, why didn't they go after her? It's, it's a. I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe they just got caught up and they got so caught up in trying to figure out what the the thing was. You know, they were they were trying to figure out what was attacking Hogwarts that they totally forgot. Yeah, maybe that. They just didn't think. Maybe they believed Percy when he said that it was just something they found that she saw him doing something. I don't know. Could be just gullible. Maybe they wanted the book to last longer too. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think that that would have been interesting if if Ginny had. I, what would have happened? What if? She never would have gotten oh. taken, maybe, into the Chamber of Secrets. And as Matt said, it would have been a shorter book. But that <laughs> question was tweeted in by 7 Leah 7 This part right here reminded me of... I, I keep going back to this. I do it quite frequently. Uh, when Laura came up with that amazing discussion on the books being symmetrical to one another. And I can't remember if she noted this in her discussion that we did, but... This is a good comparison between books. This moment is a good comparison between books two and six, because in both of them, we see Dumbledore departing and McGonagall taking over. And it's just another example of the books being symmetrical. Uh, One is close to seven, two is close to six, three is close to four, or three is close to five. So just wanted to point that out. Well, speaking of McGonagall, um, Ron and Harry then try to sneak off... um to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom uh, on the way to one of their classes. They are able to get away from Lockhart after convincing him that uh, he doesn't need to take them the rest of the way. And, of course, Lockhart's gullible and will do anything that anybody says. So they end up being caught by McGonagall as they're going to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, and they feed her this completely BS story about how they're going to visit uh, Hermione in the hospital wing. And... It was kind of, uh, it was weird because you could see that McGonagall was very emotional about the whole thing, and it's kind of almost as if Ron and Harry took advantage of her. Yeah, well, that's totally what happened. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. It, that is a really funny, like, sort of like a movie-like moment, though. Like, it reminds me of uh, uh, just like a typical classic movie scene where you try to do something like this and the person gives in. And do, do you think, do you think 
what they were doing was just like McGonagall really felt for them at this moment. She was like, "Oh, of course, I totally understand." But regardless, I mean, you know, the basilisk is still out and about, and why should McGonagall be okay with two kids sneaking around the school? Do you think McGonagall knew it was a basilisk? That doesn't make a difference, though. I mean, he's still the 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 fact still remains that you know they, they could have easily be attacked, and why are they sneaking around? That's not cool. But the whole reason they end up going to see her is because of McGonagall, and that's kind of how all the pieces of the puzzle come together um, when yeah. they go to see her in the hospital wing. So it's almost as if what would have happened if they went to see Moaning Myrtle and didn't go to see Hermione. They wouldn't have figured as much out as they did. Maybe not as much, but I think Myrtle still would have had some valuable information for them. All right, so they they do get all the information about the basilisk and everything that's been happening um, around the school um, off of Hermione's little piece of paper, and they decide that finally, after you know, sixteen and a half chapters, it's a good idea to go talk to a teacher, <laughs> and uh, they head off, I think, to the teacher's room to go speak with McGonagall, but they end up hiding in a like a. I guess it's like a storage closet that's in the teacher's yeah. room. And as they're there, they hear over the PA McGonagall telling all the teachers to gather. And it's found out that Ginny has been taken into the Chamber of Secrets. And again, a little bit more comedy now with Lockhart stumbling in and, and all the teachers saying that he should be the one that goes and try and figure out what the monster is and defeat the monster and do any of these professors honestly believe that Lockhart has any capability whatsoever? More, more importantly, it's a bit irresponsible, isn't it? They're saying, go on, you go and try. This girl could die, but you go and have a laugh, and we'll laugh at you doing it, yeah. and then afterwards we'll take it seriously. It's ridiculous. Well, this whole, scene, this whole scene is ridiculous. Number one, you mentioned Lockhart. He's supposedly a defense against the dark arts teacher. No, I don't think he's capable of doing anything whatsoever. And then later on, like a few pages later, you hear about Percy's like casually sending an owl to his parents that Ginny's been <laughs> taken by this monster and she could possibly be dead. You know, think about if you were at school and something happened to you. Wouldn't somebody call your parents right away not like a couple hours later have your brother send off a, you know a message to your parents that something terrible has happened to you yeah 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 it does seem very odd and the whole staff room thing like <laughs> I, I i you're totally right jamie i mean yeah we'll, we'll take it seriously after it's too late mm. that's basically what they're saying but and and it's a way in a way it's a weird thing like they they're doing this for themselves. It's not so much about Ginny, because they want to see Lockhart fail first, it seems. I wonder if Dumbledore was there. I wonder what he would have ordered. If he would have ordered Lockhart to go after him, or if he would have sent you know, Snape, or he would have gone himself. It was probably just to get Lockhart out of the way, so he wouldn't bug them when they were planning on something. So this was sort of like a, a mission to kill him? <laughs> Maybe. Well, no, just to get him out of the way while they plan on what they're going to do about Ginny. Oh, I got you. Yeah. I got you. <laughs> and that's the other question, though. With Dumbledore being gone, wasn't there a way to reach him for, say, Professor McGonagall to reach out to um, Dumbledore and get him back to the castle? I mean, we know that you know he later is reinstated, but that seems like a, a pretty soft way to have to get back into the school as opposed to knowing that the school is in danger and one of the students uh, is in trouble, you'd think he would come back a lot quicker. 
So uh, Ron and Harry head out and decide that they're going to go see Lockhart, and it's revealed that Lockhart is a fraud. Now, I know we all read this book a long time ago before we just reread it now, but can anybody remember being surprised by this? <laughs> Honestly, I read this in 1999, so I can't remember. <laughs> Have you not read I don't it think since? I was. <laughs> no, I really haven't. Andrew, that is shocking for the lead host of MuggleCast to not have read the book for over I've a decade. Read, I've read the other books more times, but not but this Andrew, one in over particular. a decade. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry. When did you last read Twilight? <laughs> oh, just last week. I mean, I've read that 50 times. It traitor. <laughs> so Harry ends up using Expelliarmus on Lockhart before he can use a memory charm on him and Ron, and I thought, you know, everybody makes so much about the uh, fact that Snape was the first person to teach Harry his signature spell, and, you know, I took the quote out and says, shouldn't have let Professor Snape teach us that one, said Harry furiously, kicking Lockhart's trunk aside. So, Well, going back real quick, does anybody remember being surprised by, by you know, discovering Lockhart was a fraud? No. <laughs> I don't think I was. Um, I think I was just appalled that he was running away. Yeah. I was 10, I yeah. think, so. Yeah. After, after yeah. the Pixies, it was quite kind of like, that was explicitly <laughs> saying he was just useless. He couldn't do right. a thing. I, yeah. I guess I, I can say I was probably really shocked when I saw that he was, uh, you know, moving out, fleeing Hogwarts. He was just too good to be true, Andrew. You should have seen the signs. He was too good to be true. So uh, they end up forcing Lockhart to go with them into the Chamber of Secrets, and they get to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, and she tells them of how she died, and this kind of confirms the whole Basilisk theory. And uh, they open up the Chamber of Secrets, they slide down the pipe, and um, there's that whole scene where Lockhart tries to get back in charge and ends up erasing his own memory which is kind of comical. But that that's such an interesting point because if he'd actually if he'd actually wiped their memories and brought them back up the entire series would have developed in such a different way. That's such an interesting point. You think well, so? Well, no, I just think it, it's an interesting point that it didn't work. Like I know that um the um the teachers didn't trust him and probably wouldn't believe him, but as we've seen throughout the books, um the word of children isn't really counting for much, and Joe has that running through, and she thinks, you know, that... And Dumbledore even says that age is stupid when it forgets the, like, something of youth, the, like, you know, some energy of youth or something, and I think they'd have a hard time convincing people that a teacher's word of events was a complete lie. Yeah, that's true. It's funny, though. It's funny what happens. This is where Hilarious, Ron... Hilarious, Jamie. This is where Ron <laughs> warns, um... His parcel tongue? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And this does begin a very interesting series of uh, events throughout the rest of the books where we learn that, oh, wow, you know, we're going to get a different defense against the Dark Arts teacher every year. Yeah. And there's several hints in this book about that going on. I, I know there's at one point Dumbledore says that he just does not have good luck filling that position. So, so uh, we move on to Chapter 17, The Heir of Slytherin. And uh, it opens with Harry finding Ginny lying on the floor of the Chamber of Secrets with Tom Riddle standing nearby. And uh, he says, If I say it myself, Harry, I've always been able to charm the, per the people I needed. 
And, uh, <laughs> you know, I thought this was kind of an interesting comment as he goes through talking about how he was able to get Ginny to do his bidding. And you think back on some of the other characters that he's been able to influence throughout the series that we see later on. You know, obviously Slughorn. Um, that, it, that is such a great parallel of book six. It is. That line. Especially Ravenclaw's daughter. That's such a, like, such a cool yeah. thing in the books that he charmed her. And like and Hepva yeah yeah the um the Hufflepuff chick <laughs> the Hufflepuff chick uh, the Hufflepuff chick <laughs> <laughs> unless you're into like seventy year old grannies or something <laughs> <laughs> she's the ultimate cougar in the wizarding world <laughs> that's funny man and uh, you know in this chapter we start to get a lot of Horcrux references. Um, you know, Tom Riddle talks about being powerful enough to start feeding Miss Weasley a few of my secrets, to start pouring a little of my soul back into her. And, you know, it's interesting reading this book now. I don't know what you guys thought, but, you know, starting to see the all these Horcrux references that were there early on. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, some people, I read some some blogger, some dumb blogger, said a few weeks ago, and it really annoyed me. They pointed out that I think it was a news article. I can't remember where exactly, but they pointed out that oh, the Harry Potter fans they really over over analyze everything. And if J.K. Rowling had actually set the book up this intric- or the series up this intricately to the point of you know all their theorizing actually makes sense like she actually thought about the things that they're thinking about joe still wouldn't be done writing book one yet and i think no that's absolutely not true you know joe really did set all this up you know this this theorizing that we do it all makes sense it was all set up by her yeah and that's what makes the series so amazing and you know chamber of secrets is where we really start seeing some of the deeper stuff and you know that that comes back into play five six books later mm-hmm. yeah. four four or five books later yeah well did she say that she was thinking of half-blood prince to be the title of the second book or yeah or she was thinking of almost in, exchanging the two in yeah. their place in the series yeah so um, yes that's true so we learned that tom riddle has been c- controlling Ginny through the diary and that he framed hagrid for opening the chamber of secrets and he mentions that Dumbledore was the only one who thought, really, that there was something wrong with all of that. But, again, we talked about Dumbledore before in this book, and it's like, why didn't he do anything if he thought that there was something wrong going wrong here? He's a politician, though, Dumbledore. Like, he's a cl- that's probably why he didn't ever want to be Minister for Magic. Like, he's he knows he can't just come out and say something. Like, they live in troubled times, and it's, you, you know, he knows... Although he's powerful, he can't just say whatever he wants. And also, I think, like, people forget, like, I forget definitely that everyone knew about his backstory. And, you know, just because we didn't know, then everyone else knew. And I I imagine he always found it hard to, like, stand up for things and do things like that because of his troubled past. Maybe. So he had a 12-year-old boy do it for him? Well, yeah. Maybe. (laughs) Perhaps he is a coward after all. Actually, oh, I shouldn't speak... Hill of the Dead, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, it's book dead. Yeah, that's true, book dead. So, I'm, um, I'm film dead. Yeah, kind of, kind of talking a little bit more about the first Horcrux, where I guess it's really revealed is when Riddle says, but I wasn't going to waste those long years I spent searching for it. I decided to leave behind a diary preserving my 16-year-old self and its pages so that one day with luck I would be able to lead another in my footsteps and finish Salazar Slytherin's noble work. 
Um, and then he kind of coaxes Harry a bit to tell him just how he was able to survive the attack uh, of Voldemort when he was just a baby. Now, I wanted to know, you know, did you think that this is essential at all for Tom Riddle to find out this information, or is it more for his ego that he just wants to know? I think it's more for his ego. Yeah. I mean, he knew when he was um, being transformed in, in, in Goblet of Fire. Right. Like, he knew everything. That's a good point. Um, so... Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a 16-year-old self asking him. Could be. Maybe he just expects to come back and wants to know. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of Salazar Slytherin, yeah. Andrew. Oh. <laughs> I have a confession to make, Andrea. So, <laughs> your last name is Salazar... And I've right. always thought that, like, you know how some people don't want to put their real last name out on the internet? I thought oh. <laughs> you sort of had Salazar as your name, like, on everywhere, your, just to, your like... alias. Yeah, it was, like, your handle <laughs> or something. And just before the show tonight, I'm like, there's so many Andrea Salazars. I didn't realize that, like, everybody wanted to, you know, do that with their name. But <laughs> I didn't realize that was a popular last name. I just wanted to confess that. No, it's real. Oh, wow. That is it's something. Real. You should you should make that your middle name, and then you can be, well, and then make your last name Slytherin. That'd be Slytherin. Andre, you know, I should do that. Your initials wouldn't be much to be desired, but it's well, true. I will. ASS. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, how rude! How rude! <laughs> Wash your mouth out. <laughs> That's why I'm always thankful my my family didn't name me my didn't make my middle name Stephen or something because right. I would have very inappropriate <laughs> initials. Anyway, go ahead, Micah. Back to this book. <laughs> All right. So Harry shows loyalty to Dumbledore, which ends up uh, leading to Fox showing up with the sorting hat. And after Harry demonstrates this loyalty, um, Riddle ends up releasing the Basilisk. Now, there, this whole fight ensues where Fox ends up poking out the Basilisk's eyes. and. Gaga! Exactly. And uh, the basilisk goes blind. And I thought it was kind of ironic that it's this monster that ends up knocking the sorting hat into Harry's hands. You know, I think it's kind of one of those J.K. Rowling (laughs) things that, oh, isn't it convenient that the basilisk's tail ends up knocking the thing that contains the weapon he needs to kill it right into his hands? (laughs) Well, how far away was it from him? Is that ever described? I mean, it wasn't too far away, so Harry could have still went for it but yeah it does seem very very intentional maybe well, he's like cowering <laughs> in the corner at that point he's like P- please please somebody help me and then all of a sudden and then it comes right yeah, yeah maybe it's got powers that facilitate that you know like it needs to get there and it can't just float there itself so it uses the basilisk to do it or something or something <laughs> i don't know it sort of jumped in front of the basilisk <laughs> yeah. basilisk's tail and then that's a that's a yeah. Yeah. So Harry gets Gryffindor's sword out of the hat. He kills the basilisk, and he ends up being struck by one of the um, fangs that's in uh, one of the basilisk's, basilisk's fangs. Now Fox ends up healing him, but I, I thought it'd be an interesting question to ask: What would have happened if he had died? I mean, would we have had sort of that King's Cross scene similar to what happened in Deathly Hollows? Well, Dumbledore wouldn't have been there, right? Oh, well, I guess no, he could have. I, maybe not. No, well, no, he wouldn't. He wasn't hmm. prepared. He wasn't prepared to die. Like, if the snitch was there, oh, it wouldn't yeah. have opened. So he wouldn't have been ready to, like, go to that King's Cross scene. I don't think he would. That's I think true. He, he'd have just died. Like, otherwise, he could have done everything he needed to then. The whole point was Dumbledore preparing him throughout the books. Um, 
but he's very it's lucky. It's too early like. for him to die, too, I guess, right, in the series. Voldemort didn't have Harry's blood in him yet, so he wouldn't have... Well, I guess he wouldn't have been able to come yeah. back, but... He wouldn't have been in limbo, I guess. And Joe wouldn't have made so much money as well if it had ended then. <laughs> right. <laughs> Two books. This is factor number one. Um, so, um, something else that happens here is when Fox was trying to heal Harry, Riddle tries to use Harry's wand to get Fox away, but... Would any spell work against the creature whose feather hair, feather or hair is is in the core? I thought that's an know, interesting you point. Think about, Very interesting. Huh. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I think we see in this that uh, that that that's the case, right? It won't work against him. It won't work against Fox. Yeah, Fox if, just kind of flies away. Yeah. What did you think? I mean, this is something that I that I always wondered. Um, this is kind of also in book five, but. Would you think since um, when that a, a wand made from the fabric of that magical animal, wouldn't you think that the animal would have some um, some type of protection against that wand? Because in book five, Voldemort um, um, blows up Fox against the fight with Dumbledore, and I always just wondered, you know, th- that's Fox's hair that just blew that's him up. That's true. That's yeah. Maybe it's because it's his hair that it blew him up like there's some type of thing where they couldn't handle the power and he blew up because of it like he just exploded well he didn't just explode i mean he got reborn through the ashes but maybe it it's like a reset switch it like puts him back to a baby but if he hadn't been a phoenix what happens if it's like a unicorn wand and then it hits a unicorn with a spell i don't know I think unicorns have learned to stay away from Voldemort. Yeah. Oh, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be a so, stupid okay. unicorn if well, you hadn't. Send in your feedback about that, listeners. We'd be interested hearing what you think about that. So Fox delivers the diary to Harry, and th- there's this moment where Harry just somehow knows how to destroy it. Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask about this. This seemed very scripted. Like he just, you know, he just takes the the uh, basilisk fang and just starts stabbing it, like. I would have liked to seen some logic here, even though I don't think Harry much, had much to go on. I would you just know? stab myself. <laughs> Why? Why would he be suicidal? <laughs> I don't know. That's the first thing that'll go through my mind. Emo Harry. Oh. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. He saves stabbing Jenny. a diary with a fang. That's the first thing that comes through my mind. Maybe you should see a counselor as well, Mave. <laughs> yeah, I think we need to take you to counseling. <laughs> Go ahead, Micah. Yeah, so he saves Ginny, and uh, they exit the chamber, and they're able to get back to where Ron and Lockhart are, and Lockhart is completely clueless as to where he is, and eventually Fox shows back up, and I thought it was funny at the end that Lockhart refers to the ride uh, on Fox as being like magic, and also that Moaning Myrtle is disappointed Harry wasn't dead and couldn't share her toilet. But there is an interesting point that Ron makes at the end when he says Myrtle has grown quite fond of Harry and that Ginny has some, quote, competition. Why did you find that interesting? Well, you know, it's kind of laying the groundwork a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Hasn't Ginny always had competition with Harry? Yeah, I mean, all the girls want Harry. He's the chosen one. Yeah, but early on. This is very early yeah, on. Yeah, true. He hasn't developed yet into the man he ends up being. Mm-hmm. This was a great line in the movie, too, when, when Lockhart just yells, It's just like magic! 
It's better than Harry's line in Goblet of Fire, where he says that he loves I meth. Love that's a terrible line. That's <laughs> such a bad line. I can't believe they left that in. I just that must have escaped the ed- editor's room because. Uh, oh man, they didn't just leave it in. They left three seconds before and. After <laughs> yeah, that's that. true. Yeah. That's like there's always one. They wanted like you to savor that moment. It's just a shame it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> not yeah, not at all. All right, and that leads us into the final chapter, chapter eighteen, Dobby's reward. They enter McGonagall slash Dumbledore's office, and they find Mr. and Mrs. Weasley there, and Dumbledore, he's back now, and of course McGonagall. And <laughs> of course. when we see them coming back, I wonder, you know, why were they all sort of just chilling in there waiting? Why, why didn't Dumbledore and McGonagall, or McGonagall see the need to go down there and try to fight with the trio? Was it just destiny that, or was it just destiny that Harry and Ron were to be the ones who fought? Or what? What's the Maybe deal? they were just waiting, honestly. And then, and then, as soon as um, Harry and Ron came up or something, they were just they were talking to each other like, "Okay, okay, they're coming. Let's just act like we knew this whole thing would happen this this way. It would all turn out okay." Oh, well, Harry. Well, is that what really happened? Because I still don't understand it. Do you, Do you guys have any theories as to why Dumbledore and McGonagall primarily did not go into the chamber? They don't speak. Did they Parcel know that. Time? Harry and Ron were down there. Yeah, but could they trust Harry and Ronnie to defeat uh, Harry and Ron to defeat Voldemort or Tom Riddle? They had Lockhart. <laughs> yeah, and Fawkes. <laughs> That's true. I guess. I guess that was the only explanation. Bad things happen when Dumbledore and Voldemort meet. So maybe they wanted <laughs> things get things blown get blown up. up when they mate. People get encased <laughs> in water and, and like have fiery <laughs> snakes after them. It's not the kind of thing. I think know. they just didn't have a clue. I mean, that's they, probably it, at yeah. least McGonagall didn't. They had no clue where the chamber was. Um, they had no clue what was going on in it. Fair yeah, enough. McGonagall especially. I mean, she was. I mean, you even said she was like emotionally distraught. And so Harry tells them the whole story of figuring out figuring out what was petrifying people at Hogwarts, and where the chamber was located. And Mister Weasley in a very odd move, decides to berate Ginny about the dangers of interacting with an object that can, quote, think for itself if you can't see where it keeps its brain, which was pretty funny. That's oddly specific. But I was wondering why he he went so hard on his own daughter. I mean, and Dumbledore points this out, much older wizards and witches have been fooled by Voldemort. So why is Mr. Weasley, you know... Well, his daughter almost died. He's scared. So why is his refer- first reaction? Let me yell at you for falling into Voldemort's <laughs> trap. That happens to every every parent. Yes, I mean, when every when every parent comes of come, comes up to their child who almost killed themselves or did something very dangerous, the first instinct is to be very yeah, that's upset so true. Yes. and to tell them never to do it <laughs> that's again. So true. Yeah. So. And then at five, and then like twenty minutes later, they come with an ice cream cone saying, how "But it wasn't their fault." That's my tears. point. Yeah, w- of course, and they know it wasn't her fault. But they're but they were you know the the emotions got the best of them. All right, well, Matt, you're a terrible parent. Whatever, <laughs> you will be a terrible parent. So then McGonagall goes to get a big feast prepared. Ron takes Lockhart to the hospital wing, and Harry and Dumbledore talk alone in Dumbledore's office. And Dumbledore says that Harry's display of true true loyalty to Dumbledore could have been the only thing that sent Aww. Fox to him, because of course Harry was wondering. Yeah, it's a very cute moment. And then Harry voices his concerns over the similarities between himself and Voldemort. 
And Dumbledore explains that some of their similarities, namely speaking Parseltongue, were passed when Voldemort tried to kill him as a baby. And then big Horcrux moment in here. Harry says, Voldemort put a bit of himself in me? And Dumbledore says, it certainly seems so. Now, of course, Joe later confirms, uh, you know, after book seven came out, that Harry wasn't really a Horcrux. Like, he sort of was, but wasn't really. Um... But this, you know, this was a big sort of Horcrux moment, wasn't it? He was an unintentional Horcrux. Yeah, exactly. And then Dumbledore makes another famous quote right here, which people recite to this day. I wish Ben was here. This <laughs> yeah, is- it's, his, it's his favorite one, isn't it? You don't have audio of it somewhere? I mean, there's got to be. How many times has he said that on the show? Yeah. There's only 75 episodes where he said it. <laughs> yeah. He can't pinpoint the exact one. He says, It is our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. Ben actually reworded he it. He did. He got it wrong, didn't um, he? But, yeah. But anyway, uh, you know, we got the gist of it. So that's a great line. It is our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. And then, of course, Lucius Malfoy storms into Dumbledore's office with Dobby at his side. And uh, Lucius voices his concern over Dumbledore's return. And Dumbledore rebutes by revealing to Lucius that the, other, that the 11 other governors wanted him back after Ginny was attacked. Dumbledore goes on to explain to Lucius that the di- diary was only uncovered thanks to Harry and Ron. And so Lucius is, is very angry at this. And as he's on his way out, Harry brings the diary uh, back to Lucy, uh, b- back to Lucius in Harry's sock. Lucius rips it off the sock, tosses it at Dobby, and Dobby sees this as being freed. And of course, Lucius freaks out, but Dobby protects Harry, and you know he sends a spell at Lucius that sends him flying, and so all is well. We learn lots of good news at the feast party that follows. Most interesting, exams do end up getting canceled. I do. Oh, I don't. No. I don't approve of that. One of the things I thought was kind of kind of ironic about the the Dobby scene is he says to Dobby, "Promise you never try to save my life again," and that's exactly what he ends up doing. <laughs> yeah. Thank God he did. <laughs> then he dies. Yeah. I guess that was a little foreshadowing right there. Yeah. And there's no Hogwarts without you, Hagrid. That was another terrible line in the movies. <laughs> oh shut up that was a did you cry oh, that's a terrible line isn't it oh I and it. so then everyone head heads home on the hogwarts express and everybody lives happily ever after and, and, until prisoner of azkaban <laughs> until the next <laughs> but it's so funny how these books always end so happily yeah at least the first couple well i i, I was glad it, it ended on a happy note because that was the last time in the film that we got to see richard harris yeah that's that quite sad, a little twinkle yeah. in his eye it is. Sad that everyone was crying, though, too, in that scene, too. It was kind of sad. Okay, so that's it for Chamber of Secrets. I can't believe we're finished. That was... You know, what I love about these first two books is, you know, there's 18 chapters in each. So we can get through them nice and quick, but <laughs> Prisoner it's of like, Azkaban gets longer, of Then course. Half-Blood Prince is like 400 chapters. Well, <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that finishes the last... Book. book. Last short book. So let's have a little quick review of Chamber of Secrets. Uh, a couple things worth discussing here. We were introduced to quite a few new characters in this book. Just to run 
through the most prominent ones, Lockhart, Colin Creevy, Moaning Myrtle, Tom Riddle, Lucius Malfoy, Arthur Weasley, Fox, Cornelius Fudge, Aragog, and Dobby. Who do you think was the most interesting out of all of those? Most interesting, you know, the one you really enjoyed seeing the most in this book. Dobby. Dobby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? I was going to say Lockhart. I'd say Tom Riddle, just to be controversial. I kind of want to say Lucius. Well, I'm glad to see that we've reached a, an accord. A verdict. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, okay, with Lucian, mm-hmm. or with uh, Tom Riddle and Dobby, you can make the point that they have the biggest influence throughout the series. Yeah. And what about, um, what about most meaningful moment in the book and or chapter? We, I think uh, most of the meaningful moments came out towards the end in these last few chapters that we discussed. Um, namely... Harry and Tom Riddle's fight, Harry and Ron's encounter with Aragog, and Lucius being exposed and unintentionally freeing Dobby. That was one of those, you know, yeah, moments where we get to that's see a great, everything go that's our way. That's a great piece of writing as well, because, you know, it, Joe is, he got freed because Harry wants him to be free, rather than, it wasn't like plot dictating what happened, it was if Harry hadn't been the person he is. Dobby wouldn't have been freed because he wouldn't have wanted to free him. So it's quite, and then Dobby obviously, like we said, went on to influence the whole of the book. So it's like Harry is making his choices, and his choices cause everything to go right. So it's quite an interesting point that one. That's probably my most meaningful moment. Yeah, that one. I agree. That's yeah, a great quite point. interesting. And lastly, best quotes from the book. And again, I mean, it's not that we're doing lazy research, but I think a lot of great quotes came from these last few chapters. Uh, Tom Riddle at one point says, so this is what Dumbledore sends his great defender, a songbird and an old, old hat. hat. <laughs> this is, you know, just the beginning of several examples of where Tom Riddle or Voldemort does not think everything through. We see him make multiple mistakes throughout the series, and this is just another one. I mean, does he really think that Dumbledore didn't send him um, uh, worthwhile items? Is he really that stupid? He's arrogant. I think, yeah, yeah, and dismissive. But I wouldn't have thought that he'd think that Fawkes... Like, it sort of contradicts what Voldemort is, because he's the most powerful wizard of all time, which means, like, if you think of a Sith Lord, you wouldn't think that they would write off the substance that gives them their power, whereas, you know, Voldemort knows that Fawkes' feather is in the, the, the thing, so even if he doesn't know what the connection is, you'd think he'd make the connection. Yeah. That's a good I don't point. Know. Another good quote from the series, it is, of course, we talked about this earlier, it is our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. And another Dumbledore quote that stood out, the best of us must sometimes eat our words. That's so true. Yeah. Sometimes you got to just fess up. It's a great line. Jamie, <clears throat> you know, this is a good time to tell you that you, you, you need to learn from that quote. <laughs> <laughs> What Just words kidding. do I need to eat? Oh, many. I'll, I'll start searching through our transcripts and finding some. All right, cool. And then I'll Something eat them. Something about eating 50 sausages one time. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> what happened with that. I don't know. I must have been, I must have been tired or... <laughs> On something, because I can't believe I agreed to that. That was stupid. I think you need to start doing more outrageous bets like that. Maybe, maybe. What was the bet? I can't remember. Does something... anyone... Re- Micah, do you remember? I think, or I think it was with, depending whether Harry lived or not. Or if Harry was a Horcrux. Oh, oh. I don't remember. Oh, oh what a cliffhanger. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
50 sausages, though. That's a hell oh, of yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. sausages. Yeah, you, you promised you would eat 50 <laughs> sausages if Harry Potter died in book seven. But, 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 but he didn't. I, I, no. But you. Oh, right, but that's so debatable. Okay, oh, yeah, but I think we argued that he sort of half died, so you should eat 25. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. See, 25 is doable, but I'm a big fan of organic, free-range meat at the moment. I don't eat any, like... Uh, a vegetarian now or something? Farm. No, 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 no. I just like I. Okay, I went online. I saw a couple of like Petter's videos. Oh. And that, I was like, nope. And Sophie convinces me, me as well a, a lot. I don't. Yeah, I see. I'm a. I'm a good boy. I'm a very good boy when it comes to eating meat. All right. Fair. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not forget that YouTube video of that Big Mac challenge. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so you've changed that. that what you're impossible. saying? You're, you're not the man oh, you used I to be. I wouldn't. I. I wouldn't eat a Big Mac again. Put it like I that. Got I it. wouldn't do it. <laughs> okay. I, I wouldn't do that. All right. I, th- I do believe that's a good thing as well. So Okay. You eat the chicken you know. nuggets. No, no, no. I condemn meat, Matt. Condemn meat. Tortured meat for all of its life. <laughs> that's why I don't. Well, you shouldn't as well. Well, uh, I, I only eat meat that's through suicide. What? You, oh. <laughs> well, like not- Harry Gary. They put the thing in. <laughs> Twist it up. Okay, well, that does it, like I said, for Chamber of Secrets, so we won't have quote quiz this week, but next week we will get into Prisoner of... or not next week, but in a couple weeks we'll get into Prisoner of Azkaban, chapters one through three! Woo! So send in your questions and feedback about these upcoming chapters now, as well as the chapters we just discussed. And to do that, you can go to MuggleCast.com and click on Contact, and you'll be able to send in your feedback there. So before we completely wrap up chapter by chapter today, let's get through a few tweets that we received as well as some emails. I'm going to try to get through these quickly. Uh, First one's from Project Alice. Why didn't the poison instantly kill Harry? A 12-year-old boy versus giant basilisk venom. Some spiders only take minutes to kill you. That is a fair point, yeah. It is. Maybe just for uh, to make it more dramatic. Dramatic effect, yeah. Yeah. And he did it in pain as well. If it was that, like... Yeah, that he did scream potent. like a girl after he got stabbed. It's typical, typical Harry. Gabby SM11 writes, "This may be a dumb question, but if a phoenix's tears can heal anything, how comes how come Fox didn't heal Dumbledore's hand in Half Blood Prince?" I think Dumbledore didn't want it to be healed. I, 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 what he just knew it was his time to go. The curse was too powerful, though, wasn't yeah. it? That was the point. Yeah. Well, he, he accepted his fate. I, th- I think that was also in... Um... Well, yeah, I agree with what Matt said, because the whole reason he puts it on is because of, you know, he's overcome by the power of the Deathly Hollows. He wants the ring on his hand. He wants to sort of feel the power of it all. And yeah. I think that greed, he kind of, through that greed, he kind of accepts his own fate. And, you know, going off what Jamie said, the the curse is just so powerful. I don't know that Fox could heal it. Yeah. Right, it's the whole dark magic excuse. Yeah. Alexandra M. Off writes, Dumbledore was one conniving man. He continually deceives Harry, but this reflects Harry's age. One must remember that he's 12. Well, we we've had discussions about that. I think but the whole it, pig for slaughter is a thing. controversial issue, isn't it? Yeah, pig for yeah. slaughter. Yeah, that was a very good discussion we had. Amazing. Next feedback, piece of feedback comes from Sunday Rain Twenty Three. How did Dumbledore get the diary back from Lucius Malfoy after Harry freed Dobby? Did Malfoy leave it on the floor, or I think Malfoy just left it on the floor, right? I have no idea. That's one of those weird. That wasn't written things. in. Was it? No, it, was... it wasn't written in. I think. I think he sort of just. Left it on the ground. Well, he has to be borrowed it. 
Harry Harry borrowed it from Dumbledore, so he probably gave it back. Maybe. No, uh, same person writes, did Ron just no- not notice Fox enter the chamber, or is there another way to get in? Huh. Fox probably just flew over him or something. Yeah. Ron does- or he came in really quickly, like a... Like a plane, yeah, like a jet. And Ron doesn't. If we're if if his character is to believe, be believed in the movie, Ron doesn't think too fast. So, well, and it's also <laughs> right, a chamber. Yeah. There was probably a, a, a different exit or, or entrance. entrance. Yeah. yeah, maybe he can apparate. <sighs> maybe he cried his way through. Curdy <laughs> yeah. Kermit writes: Why didn't Fox die when she punctured the basilisk's eyes? She couldn't have done it without looking straight into it, right? Not to be controversial, but isn't Fox a he? Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why didn't he? Maybe. Maybe she just. Yeah. Maybe he just like aimed and went with it. Yeah, or closed his <laughs> eyes. I mean, he ain't dumb. He know he knows what he's facing. Well, in, in all fairness, and huge eyes Fox well. can't really die. I mean, he just gets he's reborn anyway. Yeah. So. Uh, and he and he gets he he gets blown up with ashes and blinds the basilisk. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I bet. He just gets into like pub fights and bar fights all the time because he knows he can just get reborn even if he gets killed and stuff. <laughs> he brawls all over the place, Fox. Uh, Nydia112 writes, Do you think that Dumbledore knew that the diary would be so valuable or that it was a horcrux? Yeah, and I pulled that quote from Half-Blood Prince where Dumbledore says, Four years ago I received what I considered certain proof that Voldemort had split his soul. Oh, that's a Great, great connection, Mike. A brilliant connection. That's Thank a pretty you. badass line, too. That's, an awesome <laughs> That's awesome. Four years ago, I received what I considered certain proof that Voldemort had split his soul. Yeah, it's a great mm. line. Yeah. And it's on page 500, exactly. <laughs> American edition. Okay, so Jamie, it is time now for your British joke of the day. This I is going to live up to it's it. It's the first one of 2010. This segment is now six years old? Five? Five oh, years old. It's something. Well, is when it? did the show start? Well, we're actually, I should mention this. I realized that we're approaching our fifth birthday, which is very exciting. It'll fifth be, birthday? Yeah, it'll be in August. Oh, that's insane. Yeah, so. That's insane. We have to do so, something so special for that. I think so. Some type of huge party in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down for that. All right, so Jamie, let's hear it. All right, it, going with the controversial theme, it, it's a bit controversial. N- not really, though. I don't know. A man walks into an emergency room with two black eyes and a broken nose. The doctor asks him what happened. Well, says the man, I was having a nice round of golf with my wife. She sliced her ball into a pasture of cows. We went to look for it, and while I was rooting around, I noticed that one of the cows had something protruding from its rear end. Sure enough, when I lifted its tail... There was my wife's golf ball. And asked the doctor, Well, the man said, that's when I lifted the cow's tail, pointed, and yelled to the missus, Hey, honey, this one here looks like yours. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wait. That is something, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's not too bad. Is no, it? I mean, no. we're gonna be yeah, five that, years old. That, those we can hear those kinds of jokes. That's, we can that's hear totally that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you, Jamie. We always rely on you for a good bit of humor on the show. <laughs> a well, good bit of wholesome fun. <laughs> really, the whole episode no. is one big British joke of the day because Jamie, you know, inserts British humor throughout the entire show. You know, Andrew. Oh, come on, Andrew. You- 
You would have made me blush in a second. (laughs) (laughs) There was one email, just one really quick thing that that Carson, 14 of Ohio, brought up, because a couple people asked this, that if Harry saw the basilisk through his glasses, would he have been petrified? Oh. Yeah. I don't know. This is sort of debatable, because it's like, you know, it's sort of like the whole mirror thing. If Hermione was ready to look at it with a mirror. But that's a reflection. So was the water. I mean, he doesn't see the basilisk through a reflection if it's through his his glasses. It's actually more concentrated, isn't it? Yeah, it's a direct convex or concave. It's a a, direct contact with your eyes. So he'd die twice. He would actually die. Magnified because of the glasses. (laughs) He'd be double petrified. Yeah, double pet. No, well, no, he'd die, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're right. Which is like being double petrified. Okay, so before we let everyone go today, we want to remind you to vote for us on podcastalley.com. We're currently not in the top ten list, so <laughs> please do vote for us. Please do vote for us at podcastalley.com. You can vote for us by visiting mugglecast.com, and we're going to put a link there to... You can click on podcast alley on the right under community outlets and we appreciate your votes we also remind want to remind everyone we hope you go to infinitus 2010 the site is infinitus 2010.org the event will be held in orlando florida from july 15th to the 18th at the universal studios orlando resort it's going to be an amazing event they actually just announced what a great yeah they actually just made a pretty cool announcement a Very Potter sequel will be premiering at Infinitus. It's going to be making the premiere. So that, that's very cool. Uh, as we discussed on last week's episode, a Very Potter musical was very successful, very popular in the Harry Potter fandom and on YouTube. And now the sequel to that musical is going to be premiering at Infinitus. So very cool stuff. Infinitus2010.org, again, is a site. Hopefully you can register and attend. We hope to be there. We hope to be doing a podcast there. I say we audition. <laughs> for a very Potter... Yeah, well, a very Potter sequel. Do you have the... I don't think you can I think Do I have the credentials? I have to get my resume. Yeah. <laughs> put that together. <laughs> Work on it. And also, just uh, you know, every once in a while, we like to throw out happy birthday wishes to some of the listeners. And Pablo wrote in to ask us to wish his friend Laura... A happy birthday. She turns 17 on January 19th. So happy birthday to her. That's wonderful. Feliz cumpleaños. She's a big listener and fan. I figured she's in Colombia, so... (laughs) Do you know... Oh, see. Is that near where you used to live or something? What what are you saying? No, she's speaking Spanish. She's saying happy birthday. Oh. Got it. And she keep (laughs) us. Sorry. You're so cultured there. It's like having Laura back all over again. (laughs) Yeah, I'm being corrected. Uh, I'm just kidding. Anyway, we also want to remind everyone that to visit MuggleCast.com, it has all the information you need to learn more about the show. You can contact us. You can find our community outlets. We encourage you to uh, follow us on Twitter and also become a fan of us on Facebook. And also to vote for us once a month at Podcast Alley. Everything, everything, everything you need is right Do there. Do everything. On MuggleCast.com. Jamie, I can't believe you actually have a Twitter now. Yeah. I do. I do. I finally jumped on the bandwagon. Yeah, I, uh, I'm following Andrew. I think I'm following you as well, Matt, because I remember seeing a message from you. I'm pretty sure I click follow. Um, okay. I don't know, though. I wouldn't but, follow, Matt. He's not very interesting. He's not interesting. Oh, well, whatever, I, I, active. I don't, I don't follow him. 
<laughs> That's such a cool name, Andrew. Active. You're like a superhero. Active. Well, what, what's Active your man. Twitter name if uh, people want to follow you, Jimmy? I was going to do a shameless plug. It's um, <laughs> yeah, twitter.com slash Lawrence Jamie backwards. My name backwards. Andrew, you've currently got over 8,000 followers, and I've got about 710. <laughs> so if I get to... If I beat Andrew at some point, if I get more than him, I'll eat something ridiculous. I don't know what yet, but I'll, I'll put it on there. Maybe maybe not 50, but perhaps like 20 organic ones, free-range ones, maybe. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. So, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll come up with a with a thing to do. So, please, please, please follow me. I want to beat Andrew. <laughs> okay. That's, that's a pretty big challenge. Like, you've got like... 12 times as many followers as me. Well, start Andy. tweeting some stuff about Harry Potter and they'll 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 want to follow you. But I'm sure they'll want to follow you anyway cuz you tweet lots of interesting stuff. You could do a British joke of the day. Yeah, start tweeting some jokes. I like that. See, yeah, that's, uh, that's an idea, but it's the internet. I mean, they can just type something into Google and get hundreds of jokes on the yeah, oh, but, true, true, but true. They oh, like how I'll you harvest and... the joke and jokes and pick the best of the best. It's your taste that they want. There means oh, more coming right. from Jamie. It's the taste of your jokes. <laughs> I'll tr- I'll I'll try and do it then. I'll try and be innovative when it comes to jokes and put some on there. All right. Yeah, after um, five years, Jamie. They should be pretty good, shouldn't they? All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been another fun show. Andrea, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. And we hope to have you on again soon. And, Jamie, it was great talking to you. Hopefully, we'll you see too. you on again soon as well. Let me stay again. Let me stay. Of course, Please you're always, you're bit. always, you're still a part. I still, I still absolutely consider you a huge part of the show. Oh, good, Andrew. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> Thanks again, everyone, for listening. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Jamie Lawrence. I'm Mike Tannenbaum. I'm Matthew Britton. And I'm Andrea Salazar. We'll see you next time for episode 190. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 I'm Andrew Sims. Who <laughs> 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 knows how what the order? Uh, Jamie, Micah, Matt, Andrea. Okay. You gonna start again then? I'll just. No, go ahead. You can. All right. No, no, no. I I need the you need the flow <laughs> momentum that you. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, one, two, three, four.